You are listening to the Mom and Dad Podcast. A podcast about balance, growth, and navigating through your 20s and 30s. If your kid's uncomfortable, you have to, you have to do something to make them comfortable. And I think that letting them sit in their discomfort and kind of sort through it and figure it out for themselves is really crucial. And we shouldn't take that away from them by trying to figure things out for them. All right. Hello, you guys. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Mom and Dad podcast. We're excited. This is, this was a good one. Yeah, this was a good episode. Um, Justin and I talk like pre-Remy. We've talked a lot about parenting. Yes. And there's definitely things that we're learning, new things that we're learning as parents, like actually being in the situation as a parent. But we discuss these things pretty frequently, I would say. Yeah. But I feel like it's almost like talking about parenting and what you would do as a parent before you have a kid is a little like practicing the piano without an actual piano. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like using an air piano to like do the fingerings. I think it's kind of like that where it's just you can't really make like a solid opinion on how you stand on it. I don't know. I feel like that's the way it was for before we had Remy. Like now I feel like my my opinions are much more sort of based in experience yeah and even just hearing from other people like what it's like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like telling someone how birth feels or like what it's like to give birth Mm -hmm. it's like you don't for one everyone's situation is different yeah and two you just you just don't understand until you've been through it yeah we had a really good conversation about things that we want to implement in our parenting and um, just kind of our own experience being parented Mm -hmm. and how our childhoods have impacted us today. Yeah. I think it's always good to dive back into your childhood from time to time. Yeah. It it, will definitely makes you realize like, Oh, I've, I realize that's why I do this certain thing. Mm -hmm. And also the area of like, Oh, I've really grown a lot. Yeah. Since then. Yeah. And I feel like once you become a parent, then you can look back on your childhood as like a case study and be like, yeah, okay, now that I have the context of what it feels like from the parent's point of view, my childhood experience is now relevant for informing me about becoming a better parent. You know? Yeah. Like you can look back and be like, okay, well, how did that make me feel as a child when my parents did this? So I'm really. I- I really appreciate how genes work. Just like our kids are going to be some kind of mixture of us mm-hmm. and we can kind of go from there, you Figure know, out based off of what, what we went through. Yeah. That definitely is helpful when it comes to being a parent. Unless our next kid is just a, a psychopath. I mean, Remy is pretty easy so far and mm-hmm. I feel like he's pretty laid back and I feel like he's going to be pretty laid back. Before he was a, born, everyone predicted that he was just going to be so calm. Yeah. So maybe the next one will be completely crazy and we'll don't. be like, I don't have any control over it. Or <laughs> our next one is going to be an amazing sleeper. Remy wasn't an awful sleeper, but he's not a great sleeper. Yeah. He doesn't take very great naps. Anyway, let's think positively here. <laughs> I don't want to curse us with an, an awful child. Everyone keeps telling me that that's, they're like, you got lucky once. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Yeah. In the same spot. So. Yeah. Whenever we tell someone, yeah, he's a great baby. He's like, just wait for the second. Yeah. Like, like why do you, do you tell, tell someone that? Right? Yeah. Don't tell somebody that. Yeah. Gosh. But yeah, today we had a good conversation. Oh, also, Remy is walking now. Yep. I think the last episode you predicted that he would walk on a Thursday. Yeah, I don't know which Thursday that was. It, so we recorded, I think we recorded on a Sunday. And you said he was going to be walking on a Thursday. And it, it was the next week after that that he started walking. Yeah. Pretty he's still close. not like, he, I'm sure in the next couple weeks he's just going to really take off. Yeah. But he's, he's not, walking He's not now. great yet. Falls yeah. a lot. But yeah. he's getting there. Yeah, and sometimes he'll actually decide, like, oh, I'm going to walk instead of crawl. Mm-hmm. Like he chooses it for himself, himself instead mm-hmm. of us being like, "Oh, walk to me, walk to me." Yeah. Yeah. So he's growing up. 
very fast. It's so funny seeing his little body walk. Yeah. It doesn't look normal. Like, no. that. that's what should be happening. He's got those tiny little legs. So, yeah, we got a good episode. I'm excited about it. I, I really, uh, I learned a lot. Even though we've had so many conversations around it, I feel like I took a few new things about, I, th- I think parenting, like, we never, like, the principles that you use to develop a well-adjusted, happy hardworking child are the same principles that we all need to continue to grow let's get into it what was your childhood like um i would say my childhood was a little bit different than the normal person Mm -hmm. i don't know would you agree when i would ever tell you about the things i would do as a child yes your childhood sounds like a, a magical time yeah, it was um it was definitely an unsupervised childhood. And unsupervised when when I was in a specific place. So yeah. like Okay, here's a little bit of information. <laughs> I loved going over to my grandma's house with my cousins. Mm-hmm. And my grandma was the one who didn't supervise us. And we, she had this field and a creek and just the most magical home Mm -hmm. you could ask for as a child. And we just roamed that on our own independent little wild children. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it was, I think it was a little bit different than the normal child just because of what we had to work with Mm -hmm. and the supervision that we had. Like, we were climbing on roofs, we were catching snakes, swimming in the creek, like, no one watching us. <laughs> Rope swings, four-wheelers, you know, just... How old were you when all this was during this time? I don't know what time, what age I was when we started, like, really playing, and when my mom would just leave me there with my grandma. I don't know what age, but definitely until we were in, like, middle school... Mm-hmm. We were still like staying the night there, and so you were like elementary school kids, yeah, climbing on roofs, yeah, exploring the bottoms of the creek mm-hmm. alone. The creek wasn't like super deep, but sure, okay, still dangerous. If if you, like maybe a parent today would, would definitely be down there with their child watching them. Yeah, <laughs> her grandma was not nowhere to be found. My grandma, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we could hear her. We'd be down in the field and. We all remember this, just hearing the scream from my grandma being like, Ashley, and just like yelling our names, like lunch is ready. You know, yeah. we only saw her when it was some kind of mealtime because she was an amazing cook. Yeah. She loved. Yeah. She was just so good at cooking. Sounds like a dream. Yeah. It was. It had complete autonomy and delicious meals. Basically. About all a kid can ask for. Yeah. It was, I'm, I'm grateful for it. That's for sure. Yeah. Mine was a little bit different than that. We didn't spend nearly as much time playing outside. What was it about it that you made you guys want to be outside all the time instead of, you know, watching TV or playing video games or, or whatnot? Well, we did watch TV. Okay. I don't know. There was just, we just had a lot of things to do outside. So it was just a lot more fun to be doing that yeah, than that- other things. That was never really like an appeal for me. Like I would, we would, we would play outside. We would like set up game, like games of baseball in the cul-de-sac that we lived in. Or we, we would actually like do in-sync cover bands and perform for our parents. Sometimes we would make, make movies if we could get our hands on like a, a video recorder. But we, we didn't spend a lot of time outside just to be outside. You know what I think it is? Hmm. I think it's the nature and nurture thing. Okay. Because, like, even going outside of, like, when I grew up and I would hang out with my friends, mm-hmm. like, I would, me and my other friend, we would, instead of just hanging inside with everyone and just chilling, mm-hmm. we would go outside and we would go skateboard. Like, take their skateboards and just, like, go and roam the streets while mm-hmm. all of our friends are just hanging out inside. <laughs> so, I I think it's more of a... Like the nature of us, 
like we were all related, so there was more of a chance that we'd kind of be that kind of person to like want to go out and like do something. Because mm-hmm. we just we just got bored if yeah. we just sat there. Yeah. So I think it might be just a nature thing. Because yeah, you had you had the field. Yeah, there was a field. You and had a the creek behind our house, behind yeah. the subdivision that we lived in, where we could go explore. And you had the friends. Back there. I had friends, but none of us. There wasn't like one wild kid in the group that was always hanging out in the forest. It was like all of us kind of enjoyed doing the same things, which maybe that was, like you say, the part of the nurture of just like where the cul-de-sac that we lived in. And maybe we didn't really like to get dirty or I remember I was really always very self-conscious of like smelling bad. (laughs) As a kid? As a kid, like a little second grade kid. I was like, I don't want to get, I don't want to go out, be outside too long because then I'll smell bad. And I think it probably started where one of my mom's friends, I went, came back inside and they they would say something like, oh, you boys smell like you've you've been out outside. And I was like, what, what does it outside smell like? (laughs) It just scarred you. It scarred me. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I was always kind of like a self-conscious kid. So maybe after that, I was just like, well, I don't want to go outside because I don't want to be the stinky kid. I don't want to smell like outside. <laughs> yeah, smelly kid in the neighborhood. So that, you know, that possibly was it. Um, just like to stay neat and clean. And if I did something, it was, you know, I don't know. I like to read a lot. I don't know. Maybe it was just a, a nerdy sort of indoor type of kid. So yeah, m- maybe it comes into nature and nurture a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say both play a part. It's not like all oh, nature, you know. Yeah. I think they all, they come together hand in hand. Yeah. But I think like a good sort of trial for that was when we moved from the cul-de-sac, which is more suburban, to the place where my parents live now, which have, you know, it does have a forest and it is more sort of out there so there's not like a bunch of neighbor kids that you can play with and when I moved out there I thought for sure I was going to be like this little you know tree hugger just running around the woods all the time but I didn't and I did it like twice and I remember getting spider webs in my face as I was walk as I would walk through the woods and I was like I'm not really yeah, into getting it. spider webs in my face and then I just stopped and then you did door to door and then it was every yeah. day door to door yeah spider webs were the bane of my existence <laughs> for five six years the thing is I would never do it by myself though like I wouldn't go and play by myself. Mm-hmm. It it just takes the right combination of things, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, that's interesting. So, for thinking back to your childhood, what would you say is the most valuable thing that you took from from it? I don't know. I I think I was really into one of the the best things that I remember accomplishing as a child was making movies. I feel like I th- I had a lot of, I watched a lot of movies, and mm-hmm. so I would kind of parrot a lot of the things that I saw in movies. I watched a lot of, like, Mel Brooks movies, so, like, 70s comedy movies, and we would take a lot of things from that and just incorporate them into our own little movies, which is, like, way too advanced for the little first and second grade, third grade kids that we were, and the type of comedy we were trying to make, but I feel like that was good in the sense that it helped me to have a little bit of confidence in my my creative abilities to like actually just create something from scratch and realize that I did have, you know, good ideas or I could think of funny ideas even if they were kind of stolen from Mel Brooks. You know who is always the cool kid? Who? Is the person who knows movies and actors. Like they were always the cool kid, you know? If they could be like, oh, you know that movie, like, like, I don't know. I don't know, you know, and they were so cool because they knew it, you know, just. I guess. I've never really. You're so good at quoting movies. Yeah, but that's like a useless skill. It's, (laughs) but it's cool. It's, it's a party trick. Yeah, a party. Yeah, it's like a useless party trick. And I don't really go to parties or hang out with people that often. But I think, no, I think it's a good skill because. When you're just chatting with someone, like, you can relate with people because you know, like, you can get some kind of realm of movies that they've seen and you can just relate with them on it. I can essentially just and then quote play, it. play the character, live proxy through the the character of the movie that relates to them and just yeah. act like them. Yeah. Um, yeah, my skill. friends in high school always said that any joke that I ever said was just a movie quote. 
So pretty yeah. much every still is my entire sense of humor is plagiarized and has been since like the second grade. Every time you say a joke, I'm like, what movie is that from? Yeah. I I automatically go to that's probably from a movie. I'm so unoriginal. I'm just realizing this now. I have no I've never come up with a real joke on my own. I just steal them <laughs> from movies. Anyway, lots of realizations on this podcast. Okay. So, so is that you would take the fact that I was able to sort of tap into creating things from scratch and I didn't do it we didn't do it very often but when we did like I feel like I was just kind of lazy by nature but what about like your love for reading Uh, yeah reading in in movies I kind of lump into the same category where yeah I read a lot and that probably also fueled my my creativity and my mom was really good at I had a couple of really good sort of mentors like I had some teachers like my entire third grade year my teacher I just told her what I wanted to do and she just kind of gave me free reign you know probably was the same year that my mom gave me the entire unabridged version of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's life works like all of his writings so like the raven or you know tons See, of I don't know yeah the, the <laughs> I can't even You're remember so cool. how it goes but it's the, the raven and some woman named Lenore and this raven is haunting this guy because he's in love with a girl named Lenore and the raven keeps saying her name <laughs> anyway um but yeah I feel like my mom was really good I had several teachers who really sort of fostered that in me to to want to to learn a lot and I feel like learning was really really learning new things became sort of like a passion at a young age but I didn't, I wasn't very physical. Like I played sports, but I just but wasn't. But that's fine. Yeah. And I, it's probably fine. But looking back, I always probably. sort of regretted that I wasn't more of an outdoor kid. Like maybe I would have been less lazy if I would have just forced myself to go do something like exert some energy instead of staying inside. Well, that's the thing. You don't want to force yourself to do it. That's true. And that brings up a good question because it's like, what, I guess, what do you think was most valuable about the way you grew up? Because you and I grew up very, like we had very different sort of habits or tendencies when we were Activities. around the same age. Yeah. Um, I, because we were not supervised, <laughs> which sounds so bad, um, I think it instilled an independence in me hmm. where I just always want to be out and doing something and and I don't know like I I don't care to really be away from home for a while you know like I'm okay it fuels me to like be on my own and like do things on my own mm-hmm. it makes me feel good yeah not that I don't love going home and seeing family like that's I love that but I also love this independence and I don't know. I think, yeah, I think that's what, that's what I would take. Yeah. Is there anything you would change? I, I would probably change having a little bit more pressure to do well in school. Hmm. And I don't think my parents did anything wrong. They told me to do my best. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I could kind of just like do whatever I want and like call it my best, hmm. you know? And not really try and push myself to do a little bit more, you know? I was like, oh, well, that's my best. I'm good. You know, that's what my parents want. You know, they want the best. So there it is. (laughs) That's my best. Um, So I didn't really feel a lot of pressure to do well. Um, Not that I didn't want to do well, but like to excel. Mm -hmm. But going back to the nature and nurture thing, I think it's my nature to not... Like, I'm not super intense about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, well, that's just, like, kind of my nature to be that way anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I feel if I had a little bit more pressure to excel a little more, um, maybe that's what I would change. Do you think if you would have received that pressure that you would have rebelled against it or? (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Probably. I probably would have done worse, maybe, because just the nature of me is kind of stubborn. (laughs) Do better. No. We'll never know. But that's, I mean, kind of the point of tonight's topic, right, is what's the best way to parent? Because I don't think anyone has really cracked, I mean, I'm sure there are people who have cracked the code on 
motivating a kid to do something that maybe they don't want to do, but at the same time, you got to let the kid be who they are, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's Because if they enjoy reading and playing outside, like, one is not better than the other, mm-hmm. you know? So, if you're, like, forcing your child to, like, be this outdoor wild child, but they want to be inside and, like, be alone and just, like, be in their own mind, yep. then you can't force them to be something else that they're not. But if that kid is reading for part of his time and then he's watching TV for a big chunk of the other part of his time. It's like, do you tell the kid to get outside or do you cut the cable to the, t- I actually had family friends that they got rid of their TV they moved out to the country and they actually got rid of their TV and their kids just found something else. Figuring, yeah. I mean, there's, there's ways of taking back control as a parent if you feel like your kids are getting addicted to TV, right? Yeah, so here's the thing. I was listening to the four-hour work week, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I brought this up already, but he was talking about how this mom decided, I don't, she, like, decided to, like, sell everything and just sail the sea Mm -hmm. with her family, Mm -hmm. and before doing that, her kids would fight all the time. And then once they got on the boat, they had way less square footage to roam and they had to just adapt to their situation. And they, they like barely fought anymore hmm. because they just adapted to what they had to work with. You know, if they don't have the option of TV, then they have to find something else, you know? And if they don't have the option of getting away from each other, then they have to figure out a if way to get along. Get along. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Toss the TV. I don't want it anymore. Get rid of it. We just got it, but <laughs> might as well just throw it in the garbage. <laughs> okay. We're making we're some done. radical moves here. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk about it first. Okay. What do you think is a good balance between free play and, like, structured skill development for kids? So, both of them definitely have their benefits. Mm-hmm. Like, we see... It's obvious the benefits of structured, what's the word? Time or? Yeah, just like having it more structured time mm-hmm. and learning in that time. Um, but it's harder to see the benefits of free play, but they're there. Like scientifically proven, free play is incredibly beneficial to children. Mm-hmm. It helps them. So I'm reading the book, The Danish Way of Parenting, and in it, she talks about how free play teaches resilience and to be less anxious. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because I feel like anxiety today is just skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going down is free play. Like kids are just more on screens and it's just creating more anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like you can just see the pattern of it to know like, okay, I think this like there, there's some correlation here, Yeah, you know, to talk about the balance between the two, mm-hmm. it's hard not to get into this, like free play is almost turning into structured play because you're like, okay, from four o'clock to five o'clock, you can go play on your own. Yeah. You know, when I remember as a kid, you know, you just go do it, you know, mm-hmm. you don't think twice about it. Yeah. So I don't I don't really know what the answer is to that. I just know both of them have their benefits, but to find the balance between the two, it just kind of depends on the child because you never know where they're going to resonate. If they're going to resonate more in that structure and they're going to have to be kind of more pushed to to do more creative things, whether that's reading a book or playing outside or just like art, you know? So I don't really know what the answer is to that, but I know that they're both good. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like there's almost if we're gonna if we're erring too far on one end or the other, I feel like we're erring on too too far on on structured or maybe not structured, but structured time and screen time. Mm-hmm. So if anything, the way to I think we need more free play with you know, our children today need more free play. And I think probably the best way to do that is to have time that you purposefully don't plan. Like you don't have anything planned to do 
and you take away available distractions. Yeah. So I was, I don't know where I heard this. I think it was a blogger or something, but she was talking about how that same concept of not have anything, having anything planned mm-hmm. and having the kids come up with an idea to do. Like you don't give them ideas. Like you don't say, oh, well, go play basketball or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you have them come up with that stuff on their own. And that way, I'm sure your kids are still going to be coming up to you and be like, I'm so bored, you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But you just have to challenge them and make them just have them be uncomfortable a little bit and figure it out on their own. Yeah. Instead of always having someone telling them what to do. Yeah. And I think that is a good explanation of why anxiety is on the rise because resilience and independence breed sort of a mentality of, okay, I feel uncomfortable. Let me figure something out as opposed to, I feel uncomfortable. You need to figure something out for me, mm-hmm. you know, mom or dad. Or anyone. Anyone, someone else other than myself. And we're not downplaying anxiety. Like that is a very serious thing. Yeah. But there definitely is a rise mm-hmm. in it. And I don't know, maybe the way that we're being raised has something to do with it. Yeah. And I remember, so my first manager, when I was first started in, in door-to-door, which is where I learned most of the most valuable principles of my life, mm-hmm. he he said something to us once in like a training where he said, most people think that, or people more and more are thinking that you gain confidence by like reading about it. And he, his whole thing was, no, that's not true. You, well, you know, I might play a part in it. Like if you read about confident people, but he said the number one way to gain confidence is by accomplishing hard things. And the iron cowboy, the guy who ran like 50 consecutive Ironman triathlons in 50 consecutive days he always says, or one of his quotes is, confidence builds confidence and success builds success. And I think that's definitely something that I want to apply as a parent, um, you know, with Remy or however other many kids that we have, um, is teaching them to, you know, not not fighting their battles for them and not trying to save them from discomfort. I feel like discomfort is so villainized now where it's like, oh, you can't be uncomfortable. Or if someone's unco- if your kid's uncomfortable, you have to, you have to do something to make them comfortable. And I think that letting them sit in their discomfort and kind of sort through it and figure it out for themselves is really crucial. And we shouldn't take that away from them by trying to figure things out for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. But along with them being uncomfortable and figuring things out for themselves, it also grows their self-esteem and realizing that they can get through hard things. And being uncomfortable is... It's not fun, but mm-hmm. it's also a place where they can grow and get better. Yeah. And they almost have this internal cheerleader instead of someone else always being like, you can do it, you can do it, you know? Like mm-hmm. they can like have that inside of them and be like, oh, I can do this. They know yeah. that they can do it. They can generate it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've heard Tony Robbins talk about this, and I'll see if I can get the metaphor right, but he basically talks about like there's there's two ways for us to be uncomfortable. It's either when we... We feel like we're doing below what we're capable of or we're above what we're capable of. Um, below what we're capable of is we're being lazy, we're living below our potential. Above is when we, we feel like we're doing something that's just a bit too much of a stretch. And he, he, he relates it to like an internal thermostat. So like, you know, the, the temperature that I'm most comfortable at physically is, a, you know, is like 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and if it gets cold, then I turn the heat on. If it gets too hot, then I turn the air on, right? Um, And he basically relates it to that where, you know, when we start to, if we're in our comfort zone and we start to sort of procrastinate on things or we get lazy about something and we start to feel like we're underperforming, then we turn on the the heater and we, we, you know, we rise back up to that level where we're comfortable, right? We get back up to 69 degrees. And then conversely, if we start to stretch ourselves too much, the tendency is always, oh man, this uh, I'm uh, it's way too hot. I'm I'm moving too fast, or I'm doing way more than I should be. And then we turn on the air and we cool ourselves back down. Um, and so the idea is we always rise or fall to where we feel, where we see ourselves, like what our self image is. 
I mean, so if we see ourselves at 69 degrees Fahrenheit, we're never really going to push past that until we get comfortable as it gets warmer. And then that will be our, instead of always turning the air on to cool ourselves back down. And I think that's kind of the muscle that you build as you, you know, with free play and these, these things that kids need to, again, become more independent and fight their own battles to get comfortable staying at that higher degree, if that makes sense. But I definitely could see the side of the parent and wanting to help, yeah. you know, cause you don't want to see your child uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but you know, it's best for them. Yeah. Like even with Remy sleeping through the night, you and I are just like, should we go in? Should we go? In? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's hard. He's crying. Like it's sad. We want to go help the little kid because he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know why he's alone in a dark room and he can't get back to sleep. Yeah. But you know, it's like once he figures it out and he realizes, okay, I can just I don't have to freak out. I can just try and go back to sleep. Then he learns that. And if he, you know, if he doesn't, if we keep intervening, he's never going to learn it. So. Mm-hmm. And it always takes him, whenever he gets thrown off his sleep schedule, it only takes him one night Yeah. to get back on. Yeah. But that one night is always so hard. <laughs> Remember when you brought him in? Oh my gosh. I started bringing, <laughs> I don't, why did Terrible I do that? He, I don't think we should ever advocate that that was anyway continue so i he woke up in the middle of the night and i think it was when he was getting his molars in yeah that was he had some teeth coming in and i went into his room first mistake and i started rocking him Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think i gave him a bottle or not but um i was like he's not going back to sleep he was sitting on my lap and he was like trying to get out of my lap like awake I'm like, well, I'm just going to go bring him into our room and I can lay down and maybe he'll just lay down with us. I don't know. Yeah. He'll lay down and go to sleep. Uh, Yeah. yeah. But he just got so excited. (laughs) He like, it was like looking forward to it the next night. He's like, are you going to bring me in there? Basically? Like he just got so excited. We're both trying to sleep and he's just like sitting on, sitting on top of us and bouncing up and down. Just like giddy as like the happiest day of his life or the happiest night of his life that he gets to get up in the middle of the night and play with us. Yeah. He was so excited. Bad, bad mistake. Um, but I've learned from that and he's sleeping again. Yeah. If we just let him like the one, the few nights that he actually has little trouble getting back to sleep. If we just let him get through it, then it's like, he's fine. And yeah. he's fine from there on out. So here's the thing. Remy is really small. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard like you can't discipline him. No. And I know he, he just knows everything is a joke. He knows what no means, but he just acts like he doesn't. He knows what baby bum means, but he he acts like he doesn't know what no means. Like I know he knows. But he also might think it's a game because we have trouble actually talking to him with a stern voice. But like, he doesn't understand. No, and he'll be like with that smile. So I feel like he he might think it's a game too. In yeah, his defense. Okay. Yeah. But I <laughs> I know he understands. Um, but when is a good time to start teaching discipline? Like right now? I don't know if it's possible to teach Remy discipline. Because I can't put him in a corner and be like, you're in trouble. You pulled the lamp again. Yeah. I mean, that's like his greatest crime is trying to knock the lamp over. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like... When we tell him no enough times and we take something, if he plays with the lamp, we immediately get up and pull him away from it. We say no sternly. I feel like he starts to get it and then he'll forget and go back to it later. But I feel like he'll, he'll listen to us when we say no, because he knows that it's going to be taken away from him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why when we say no, or we start to try and take something away from him, he'll like try and find some way to play with it as fast as he can. Because he, he's starting to at least learn that the consequence of not obeying is it's going to get taken away. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want that. So I think even at this age, they can start to understand uh, understand like the cause-effect relationship of action-consequence. But obviously, like discipline is kind of a far reach, I think. Yeah. So I guess even at the age that he is now, which he's 13 months, mm-hmm. he's a year. Mm-hmm. Just being consistent on what is, what is wrong and what 
is right, like what gets praised and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then as he starts to understand more, like it'll have never been an option, Mm -hmm. you know, for this to be okay. Yeah. So I guess he can start now. It just looks a little bit different than it probably will in a year from now. Yeah. So why is it important to discipline what children do instead of tying that discipline to who they are? Yeah, I think so. This principle I heard about a couple of years ago in a, a, it was a church talk by a member of the uh, leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. His name is Lynn G. Robbins. I think he's a professor at Brigham Young University, but he was talking about basically the difference between he's relating it to the way that the Savior taught, um, and he would he would always focus on helping people to be better instead of to do better. And then he related it to parenting, um, where you should never tie what a child does to their identity. So you should never say something like, and this seems obvious, but we do it in subtler ways, but something like a blatant example is, you are stupid, right? You never say you are stupid. You should really never call them stupid to begin with. But um, if they're doing poorly in school, it's not, you're not smart enough, it's, you aren't doing well in school. And that's, that's a, I'm struggling to come up with the exact examples that he talked about, but the whole point is if, and it comes back to like the self-image thing that we were talking about before. Self-esteem, self-image, where children need to understand that they are not their actions. Like they have a a potential to be much better than the things that they do. And so when they do make mistakes, it's important to help them to see that that's just something that they did. They can do better, but it's not, it's not a necessarily a reflection of who they are and definitely not a reflection of who they can become. Mm-hmm. So I think always focusing on potential. I've, I've heard a quote that I always really liked where it says, um, God's greatest gift to us is our potential and our greatest gift back is what we do with it. And I think that that's something that can definitely kind of in tandem with discipline can be given at a young age to sort of help be like the why behind discipline, right? Where it's like, you're not being disciplined to be disciplined. You're being disciplined so that you can understand how to reach your potential and become more than you are today. Mm -hmm. I think if you have that why always in the background, then it helps children to not so focus so much on just doing to do, but doing to become doing as a means to become better. Yeah, that can be so crippling for a young mind to believe something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, whether they're, I'm just going to bring it back to school, but whether they're not getting good grades in school, Mm -hmm. they just believe like, oh, this is me. You know, there's no one, there's no one else that's going to do better, you know? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is who I am, and then that just kind of sticks with them for the rest of their life, really. Yeah, so that can be that can be really really damaging if tie the disciplinary to who they are. Yeah, and I think often it's not it's not even something that's like verbal. I think the times when children feel like if they if they build up like a sense a self image of I'm dumb or I'm not good enough or whatever inadequacy they feel. I think most of that comes from like unspoken, just the fact that parents don't praise them enough or they don't say you're doing well or you're becoming better or they don't point out the positive things. And I think sometimes that can be as damaging as saying something negative of not saying something positive. Mm. Because, you know, like uh, love the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie he says multiple times through that, that one of the, the best ways of helping people to, to grow and to, to be motivated to be better is he put it, and it was written in like 1936. So it's, a, it's kind of an antiquated way of saying it, but um, to be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise, which essentially means don't shy away from finding legitimate ways to praise people. Um, cause people are constantly craving that. Um, and I think 
like today, even in, in our Slack channel at work, I asked a question into like a big group of people that I was a little bit concerned about asking because I don't, I'm not an expert on the product and it was a product question. Anyway, uh, the person who responded to me from the team was, he said, that's a great question. And it just gave me this little boost, like, oh, I, I like, I asked a good question. Like it, it, even at, you know, my age now, I'm not a little kid anymore, but still like little things like that, they just have a really profound impact on, especially children. But like even now, like everyone needs more praise, legitimate praise, not made up praise, because mm-hmm. I think we can tell the difference. But we need more Genuine. legitimate praise and people that seek, that actually pay attention to us and give us praise that I think that's so important. What do you think is, you know, because there's a, I feel like there's a big push for letting children feel their feelings nowadays. So what do you think is like a good balance between letting kids be free to feel their emotions and like holding them accountable. So I saw this trend happening as well. Mm-hmm. And I was just a little bit conflicted by it because I'm like, of course I want my child to feel what they're feeling, right? I want them to not suppress how they feel and have it be damaging. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want that to be the case. Mm-hmm. But um, I was listening to a podcast and her name is Dr. Eliza Pressman. And mm-hmm. she has a podcast called Raising Good Humans. And she said, every child's feelings are valid, but their behavior is what's not okay. So they still need boundaries. Um, So she gave an example of how a child could be upset because, I don't know, they don't want to eat this certain food or they don't want to do their chores or something. It's like, well, you can hate me right now. That is completely valid, Mm -hmm. but you can't kick me. Yeah. You can let your children have emotions. They can be upset. That's fine. People, they're going to have plenty of experiences in their life where they're upset. But the valuable skill that they can learn from their emotions is how they react to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the balance is. Like, once I heard her say that, I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Like, let them feel how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. But... Like you can't kick me because you're mad yeah. or you can't throw your food because you don't want to eat it. Yeah, you still you know? have to hold the line. Yeah. No. So I thought that was a really good, a really good line. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is important for, I think consequence or like accountability is, you know, maybe it is something that's on the decline nowadays where I feel like we're afraid to discipline because we, we I don't know why. I don't know why we're. We don't want our kids to hate us. Yeah, we want. Uh, yeah, maybe we want. Yeah, actually, I was listening to a podcast with uh, by Marcus Luttrell, former Navy SEAL. Um, he's the from the movie the movie Lone Survivors based on him. But anyway, on his podcast, he had the principal who the the guy who was the principal of Columbine High School at the time of the Columbine shooting, um, and he asked him sort of what, what he thought kids needed now more than ever um, after, cause he's been like counseling. He stayed with all of his kids. This principal stayed on his principal, even though he had massive post-traumatic stress from being in the school and having to like deal with the whole shooting. Um, he stayed on until all the kids that were in kindergarten at the time of that shooting graduated from high school. So and it, it was a hard, like he, he said, it was the hardest thing he's ever done, but he really wanted to make sure that he saw all these kids through, like, because he knew that it just rattled the entire community and he wanted to be a pillar for everyone, like a rock for everyone. Um, so super inspirational guy. But um, one of the things that he said, and I was expecting him to be more like, you know, the, on the lovey feely end of things, if, if you will. But he, Marcus Luttrell asked him, you know, what do kids need? And, and he said, Kids don't need more friends. They have enough friends. They need parents. And that just kind of clicked for me where he, he, he loves these kids. He sacrificed a lot to make sure that all of these kids, like he treated them like they were his own kids, but he still sees the value in like holding the line. Um, and he, he told a story in there of where one parent came to him and they're like, yeah, my son put a lock on his, he put a padlock on his bedroom door so I can't get in because he doesn't want me to look through his stuff. And 
He's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, what do you mean you know what to do? It's your house. Like, you, your kid cannot padlock his room and, like, do drugs. I think the kid was doing drugs in there. But anyway, he's like, he's like, well, I don't want him to get mad at me. He's like, your kid, he doesn't need more friends. Like, it's your house. You cannot let your kid dictate what he does in his room because it's, quote, unquote, his space. Yeah, you are, you are their parent before you are their friend. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, I think is tough. Because we all want to be liked, right? Mm-hmm. Even especially by our kids. Yeah, especially by our kids. I want Grammy to like me. Yeah, and I think that they will like you more if you do set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's something that they can't see right now, but in the future, I think those will be things that they will be grateful for because you stood your ground. Yeah, I'm super grateful for my parents for the way that they they raised me where they, they held me accountable when I needed to be held accountable. Not in the moment I wasn't, but you know, looking back and I think that's the hardest thing is like, you know, you're probably going to thank me for this, but I want you to like me right now. You know, like, I yeah. feel like that's going to be the hardest thing for me to, to discipline in the moment, but you got to do it. Like it's, mm-hmm. if you really, that's like loving someone is caring more about helping them to become the best thing that they can be as opposed to, making sure that they're always comfortable again kind of coming back to the same theme i think that's where parenting gets really hard mm-hmm. and, and disciplining okay so we're not there yet yeah we have a one-year-old yeah. <laughs> who understands no but pretends he doesn't you yeah. know like <laughs> we're only at that level right now mm-hmm. but i can only imagine what disciplining looks like like as a kid versus a teenager Mm-hmm. Like they just all have their, their challenges that. Yeah. And there is like a legitimate fear that, you know, you, maybe your kid doesn't forgive you or they don't ever look back and thank you for being tough on them. Or maybe you cross the line and you're too tough on them. So I think there's, there's definitely a balance that needs to happen where it needs to be, you know, swift and in the moment that something, they do something that needs to be corrected do it in the moment and then, you know, show them love more after love that. after. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So here's a question for you. Okay. If Remy or any of our future kids don't go to college, will you be upset? Oof. Well, this this could go down a whole rabbit hole for me because, so my my good friend, Robert, he did his college thesis on the American dream. Anyway, long story short, we decided to take a road trip around the United States specifically to ask people, just random people that we would meet on the street, what their definition of the American dream was. We can do a whole episode on that. But kind of a big theme that emerged through that is that most people, like there's the traditional American dream was like, get a scholarship, go to a good college, have 2.5 children, get a house in the suburbs with a picket, white picket fence, a dog, you know, that, that sort of American dream. And we realized through that, that most people don't hold that view of it anymore. As far as they still think America is a special place. A lot of people still thought we interviewed 300 people, but anyway, the, the, the thing about, I have about college is in, and Mike Rowe, the host of dirty jobs, he talks a lot about how we need to give more honor back to the trades, like apprenticeships and, um, you know, yeah, apprenticeships or or becoming a a glazer like my dad was, you know, putting glass in big buildings. Um, An electrician, you know, there's, these are jobs that, you know, maybe they're not the, you know, the the product designer at 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 a new flashy tech startup, but, there are things that keep the country running and there's honor in those jobs. And we need to, we need more good people in trades or, you know, doing, doing things like that, that don't necessarily require a college degree. Like, I feel like I have a lot of mixed feelings about my college degree of music because, you know, I, if I were to go back, I probably would have studied like computer programming um, because, you know, music hasn't proven to be very, I mean, there's, there's things that I can apply, but you know, it's just, I don't think that a college degree 
all college degrees are going to be equally as effective. Yeah. And I feel like right outside of high school, we're encouraged to go to college, even if we don't know what we want to do. Yeah. I wasted several thousand dollars by going to college, community college for a couple of years, not really knowing what the heck I was doing, but just yeah, taking just, student loans. Just getting, getting your generals done, mm-hmm. you know? So once you get your generals done, then you can know what you mm-hmm. want to do. Yeah. Generals but, that I had to retake when I got back to, anyway. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's a mess, but specifically for Remy. So you, you say you wouldn't be upset? I don't think I would. Cause I, I think that in our modern day, like I'm teaching myself computer programming right now by $15 courses, online courses that I bought on Udemy. So it's just like there, there are so the information is out there. We have tons and tons of information. I think the, the two biggest values, except, you know, obviously there are college degrees that are specialized. You need to go to college to become a doctor, right? Like, but I think there are a lot of other things like music, for example, I studied jazz instead of spending the amount of money that I spent on a college education in jazz, I could have hired a private instructor, moved to New York and, you know, just played every night, you know, like, and I probably would have spent a lot less money and I probably would have gotten a lot better just being immersed in it and just learning by doing like on the job training type of thing. So, yeah, I feel like we could go through a whole rabbit hole just just about the education system yeah yeah that's don't get me started on that but yeah Yeah. there's uh, long story short i wouldn't i wouldn't be upset if he didn't go to college because i think there are like mark twain said he never let school get in the way of his education and i think that's more true now than it's ever been Mm -hmm. well i think we'll end the podcast on that note um for this week's challenge we want to extend to you So if you have children or plan to have them, take a minute to write out one thing you took from this episode that you want to apply in your relationship with your children or to prepare you to become a better parent. That's it. Yeah. Just, just write it down. There's something really powerful about writing, writing something down. Yep. Yeah. And we're doing these challenges as well. Mm -hmm. We should probably have a little segment at the beginning of every episode where we follow up, keep each other accountable to how our challenge went and then that mm-hmm. way we can keep the listener accountable as well. Yeah. Our last episode was about minimalism, right? If only you guys could see the things I've done. I got things done. Yes. Our house is very organized and decluttered. In some areas. In some areas. We have some other, work to do. Yeah. Other but areas we've done, we've done some good things. Yeah. But on that note, thank you guys for listening. We love to have you here. We appreciate it. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening.